Hey guys, happy new year. I am so excited to be back. I had a great time, got a lot of rest. I'm really excited to get going with the Exotic Car Podcast and all the new guests I have lined up. This week, this podcast, you guys are going to dig it. Do you like 1,000 horsepower Honda Odysseys? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> Do you like twin turbo Porsches where the turbos are hanging out back where the or the bumper should be? I do. <laughs> do you know who BC Moto is? BC from BC Moto is my guest today on the Exotic Car Podcast. Check it out. I think you're really going to enjoy it. As always, leave feedback, comments, hit me up on Instagram, Facebook. Eventually, I'm going to get to YouTube if you guys tell me that's what you want. Check this out, guys. Well, and look, thank you for reaching out. Like, oh, literally, I was about to text you. That's amazing. Because we met yeah. at the Purist Group. Absolutely. And I'm like, oh, my God. This, <laughs> here's, the th- here's the thing that... Where, where, can I, where can I begin with you? Because you're kind of a paradox to me. <laughs> First of all, may I say, you're the best dressed guy in the automotive <laughs> you're industry. Too kind. Thank you. Thank <laughs> like, you. you've got a style. You're too kind. Thank you. And it's fantastic. Thank you. And then also, the way you use social media, your, uh, your understanding of it is far and beyond most. I would say it's, it's, it's convenient that it turned out that way. And what I mean by that, I don't focus on it as, a, as, as a something to do, as social media is something that I need to do and master. It's just me and my love for people and just extending that same thing to a different medium. That's all I'm doing. Um, the way I interact with people on my Tech Tuesdays, the same way I talk to people in, in public, is how you and I interacted when we were in Santa Monica or the Purist mm-hmm. event mm-hmm. or the PCA event. It's just... Um, I think we had. I think I even saw you at uh, McKenna once. Anyway, so it's it's. <laughs> I'm everywhere. <laughs> it's just it's just how I am, and this just allows me. It's just another opportunity, another uh, means of being able to communicate. Is all it is. But okay, so but let me ask you that this because this helps me understand how others can do it well. Also, you you don't get much feedback when you do stories. Like you get comments and stuff, but your typical post has what a couple thousand. Uh, likes, yeah, let's say, that's correct. Uh, and let's say maybe ten to thirty comments on yes. it. Yes. Well, it depends. Um, if I if I am just posting something that looks cool, I'll probably get that. Um, I, I love in, to engage with people, my mm-hmm. audience, and mm-hmm. when I do, you'll see something like a post I did earlier this week, and I'll get ten thousand likes and like almost two hundred comments because I'm asking, hey, what do you think I should do with this? You're engaging with the I'm audience. Engaging with the audience. Sure. So that helps a lot, and and. For some reason, I'm sure it has to do with some of the social network's uh, algorithms. It sees that and starts cascading it. Oh, that's, that's definitely so part it, of know. the algorithm, yes. Um, but I, I don't do that for the sake of getting interaction. I really care about what people think. I do. I was going to ask you that. So when you ask, because there's a lot of people, I'm not going to call anybody out, on no, social media no. that go, should I buy this LaFerrari Aparta? <laughs> and you're like, oh, dude, that's how you roll? <laughs> no, it <laughs> isn't. So why are you even asking? But... It, when you ask somebody an opinion on a build that you're doing, yes. do you actually value that Absolutely. answer really? So, for example, um, there's this really crazy, and people would never do this. I'm a bit, for those of you who don't know me, I'm very um, different when it comes to automotive modifications. So, a recent project of mine that's become quite popular is this old school 1991 Honda Civic Wagon. One of the ugliest things you can ever see. People don't look at them as performance pat- platforms, but... I'm one of those crazy guys where I do. So I have this old school Civic wagon. First is a Honda, mm-hmm. which is a Conobox. Then it's a wagon, which is something that gives us fun memories of childhood with a station wagon that wasn't the sexiest car to have. But then it's infused with so much technology 
it has drive-by-wire turbocharged late model on the engine, a sequential gearbox that you see only in a race car. It was really? converted to all-wheel drive with this crazy viscous coupler system that exists in the rear end that allows it to act as a two-wheel drive when driving around and upon demand goes to four-wheel drive motion. It has all this cool can bus communication. It has what you see in a newer Porsche in this old school rubbish 91 Civic wagon. So how did it get to that point? I literally had this rust bucket of a silver wagon and asked my audience, hey, you guys know what I'm capable of. What would you like to see in a project like this? And the overwhelming response was that K-Series engine that I have in there now, something that's all-wheel drive. BC, no one's ever put a sequential wagon. You should Google. And so I'm giving this feedback and I'm taking it in earnest and say, you know, let me give the people what they want. And that's what I did. So I do take that criticism or that input very, uh, with, with earnest. I take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side of that, and I know it has to do a lot with my parents bringing me up. Um, as you can tell from how I speak, I'm not from here. I'm from West Africa, I'm from Nigeria to be exact, and I came here to go to school. And my parents sent me here to go to university. I ended up staying after my engineering degree. And one thing I can credit my parents to is they really instilled significant self-esteem into me. Mm. They really did. So because of that, I'm the kind of individual, both in an engineering uh, uh, aspect and also in my personal life, my wife can attest to that as well, and my friends who are close to me, I do take criticism constructively. Mm. So that being said, when I solicit from someone, hey, I did this Tech Tuesday thing on Instagram Live, what do you think? I really take heed to what they say. First was like, it should be longer. It shouldn't just be 15 minutes. Okay, now it's an hour. Uh, you should put it on YouTube. So now I put it on YouTube. Oh, BC, you should probably put it on the podcast. So I put it on iTunes and Anchor and Spotify. So I take that criticism. Oh, BC, that guest really sucked. You need better <laughs> guests. So uh, I won't get involved with too many engineers that have no personality. But then I, you know, oh, BC, that person was too playful. There was no tech in that whatsoever. So I typically want to, you know, do one with a, just a comedian. So that being said, um, I give the people what they want and they seem to like that. And it's also attracted some interesting networks and partners to me as well with what I've done. Sure, sure. So um, you and I mentioned this a moment ago, it has to do with attention, it has to do with you know, what people want to see. And it's those who know me well and know me intimately, um, even the friend that we have um, with Cody, he knows that I really do tend to think out of the box. Um, well, and you with certainly that, do. <laughs> and with that comes a lot of criticism, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of what the hell are you doing, what is wrong with you, but I really don't care, and it has to do with my upbringing. My parents really raised me not to care about what people think in terms of what I believe in, but when it comes to like, navigating that ship slightly and using some technology that I have access to, I will take the input and take it in earnest, but I would not not do a build because someone said, oh, that's really stupid. See, so that's interesting. That a lot. That's super interesting to me yeah. because... I had a, uh, a podcast recently with uh, Jay and Nicole Ryan, yeah. the Ryans, yeah. uh, Porsche Life 111. Is, okay. And we had this conversation and they kind of, they criticized me a bit, and I, yeah. and I think genuinely, uh, genuinely trying to help, uh, that I listen to people too much and I don't just follow my gut. So we, we got into this conversation of, I can think of builders, and not just in automotive space, but in artists or musicians, whatever, and they just kind of go down that path and they have complete blinders on. The opposite of that would be somebody who constantly asks opinions and is stalemated by not knowing which opinion to take and value and that and kind of thing. Dangerous. And you seem to be balancing very yes. well. I, I, it's almost like, I guess a very simplistic way of saying it is I care a lot and I don't care. 
<laughs> okay. No, I really, I Who's care that sound like? That's, I don't that care. sounds like Gary Vee. You know who Gary Vee is? Yeah, I do. That's probably something he would say as well. I, I really care and I don't care, meaning that I will, honestly, um, you're a Porsche enthusiast. Yes. I am as well. And a lot of my Porsche customers frown on me having Honda Civics here or Mazda MR2s or even my account with Hyundai. They'll frown on They verbally, BC, why are you building these things? <laughs> Unbeknownst to many of them, a lot of technology that I have explored with OEMs trickled down into my project cars with the Porsches. Um, unbeknownst to a lot of people, there are technologies that I uh, uh, generated in a Honda that transferred over to a Porsche 911 that I'm building for them. All of this is, they all work together. Marquis so so, so you're growing. Own. You're growing as an engineer it and as, as a fabricator. And a, your capability and it's almost like a... I, I'm thinking of it, hearing you describe it as an artist who experiments with pastels or oils or gouache or whatever, it and then eventually. Be that broad. Well, um, yeah. The thing is, I just love cars. Okay. I love everything mechanical. My background is not even mechanical engineering. I'm a chemical engineer. Really? But I would. Still, I didn't yeah, know that. But still, my passion has always been everything mechanical, and because of that, because of my appreciation for things mechanical, it doesn't limit me to marquees. Now, one thing you would notice is that would notice is that I have great affinity for internal combustion engines that are of piston style. So I don't have any rotary experience. Okay. I'm building rotaries. Okay. Um, I dabble quite a bit into EVs and hybrid systems because of my experience with American Honda, and now I love it. Mm. So you'll see a lot more of the technology coming from us, and that I would say I can establish as my boundary: internal combustion engines, EVs. Um, utilizing electric motors. It, it, um, tell me, and it doesn't in, matter. It doesn't matter what type of marquee. It could be a, a, a Skoda, a Peugeot, a Honda, a Porsche, a Lambo. It doesn't matter. As long as it falls within that realm, I'm open to exploring it. Uh, and as long as it is in a performance aspect, yes. Or would you say that's that's a? Um, it depends on your definition of performance. So for the average individual, average enthusiast, they think performance. They think horsepower, torque. Going yeah, fast. that's what I'm asking. Um, We've done many projects uh, recently. Uh, you know, uh, before we came on board with all of you today, uh, uh, we had a good opportunity, Stan and I, to talk about uh, Carbon Revolution. It's a wheel company that does a lot of carbon fiber wheels for OEMs and aftermarket. Well, um, you'd be pleased to know that last year I built for American Hyundai something that wasn't very typical of Bismoto, uh, something that I have always loved but did it as my own passion projects, but never for a client. We went the other way. We went more efficiency and gas mileage and hyper -miling. Interesting. Yes. So we Which took is a also vehicle. an engineering challenge. It is. Guys. It, it is. And it was, it was an exciting challenge indeed to be able to use everything from aerodynamics to gearing to be able to get to the goal we wanted. And I was terrified that media would not care about what we're doing because we're known as BC Motor, the guys who make 1,000 horsepower minivans and 1,000 horsepower Porsches and so on and so forth. They loved it. They embraced it. I was lucky enough to worry about this and, oh my God, this guy is crazy. No crazy horsepower this mm -hmm. time, but now he's mm -hmm. doing something with 84 miles per gallon, 83 Eight, miles per gallon. 83 miles per gallon, okay. In a car, a hybrid that came at, at 48 miles per So you gallon. doubled the mileage. You almost doubled. Almost, yeah. Uh, what, almost was the, what was the platform? It was a Hyundai Ionic. I don't so, know what that is. Yeah, it's, put it this way, it is actually an attractive hybrid. <laughs> so, no, I think you're well, lying. No, honestly, it is, it is. <laughs> and I'm sorry I didn't have it today, but it is, it is an attractive hybrid. I may have one back there, and, um, it, it looks like a, a, a proper sedan with some European cues, but it actually is a hybrid. It's actually attractive. Most hybrids you see on the road today are very angular, very futuristic, quote-unquote. Sure. And in that and, and quest some of to look that futuristic, is it doesn't look... 
you can, if you pay attention to the design cues, you can tell that a lot of emphasis was put on making it look futuristic than even yes. aero advantages. Yes. Um, the car that we played with combined the two. So um, I don't know if you have the ability to look up the, uh, the Beast Mode Ionic and you'll see what we did, everything from wheel spats to aero to, you know, uh, rolling resistance advantages, you name it. Um, it was really interesting. A rolling resistance advantage would be something like a, a narrower tire, Very narrow, a harder compound. Extremely hard. Better rolling resistance. Very rolling resistance, absolutely. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm looking it up right now, and you guys will have to do that on your own because <laughs> no we only so, do this. Yeah, just the BC Moto Ionic, so uh, I O N I Q. I O N I Q, because yes. I want to see this thing. Yes. And it's like okay. a gray vehicle. Okay. Yeah. It has a Hyundai will have to forgive me a Civic look <laughs> to it a bit. So. <laughs> but I, I got to say, so I can see all the styling or the aero touches you put onto yes. it. I agree it's attractive. It has the look of a movie car where they use an existing platform and try to put it 50 years into the future <laughs> where there wasn't enough budget to just go completely, oh you know what I mean? But it has a very futuristic, cool look to it, a very slippery shape. I always wonder about the giant grills uh, and openings in the front being aerodynamically problematic. Now, here's what's interesting. Mm. Um, the, that grill in the front, even though it's going towards the cues that most manufacturers tend to, you know, they all tend to copy each other and go towards those cues. It has loopers in front. Oh, so, so, so it's active speed, aero. It's active. It closes off and Smart. allows air to, to travel around it. Which has been around um, for a yeah. while, but people it. haven't really paid attention to yeah, it. It's, I it's, think Rolls-Royce had that for a long time. You know what? I think the big semis go, have go, those now too. <laughs> the semis I think the semis sense. do that. Yeah. Maybe not much for aero, but maybe if that area is where there's a lot of snow climate and they need to get the engine to operating temperature. That makes sense too. close that off. That makes sense too, yeah. Anyway. And don't block the grill with snow and that kind of thing. That makes sense. There you go. So, BC, let me ask you this. I, I want to kind of, usually I try to start with a foundation of no people worries. that are not aware of you okay. and that kind of thing. And we kind of touched that a little bit, but okay. what was your intention with BC Moto? It was something I would say that came out of necessity. Mm. And um, I would give you a short version of how I got there. Um, because the beginnings are it could be quite verbose. <laughs> but that's, that's okay. Hey, you if sure? you've got time, I've got okay, time. Okay, okay. I like verbose. So guys, you heard it from him. So I, I, <laughs> I'll, start, I'll start way back to when I was born, in the early, in the early 70s. So I've been around for a while. And um, my parents tell me my first word as an infant was car. In English? So, in English. I loved car. Car. So they're like, wow, okay, this kid is very interesting. And even growing up, um, going to school in Nigeria, my primary school, my secondary school, I always had affinity for physics. It was my favorite favorite topic. It's, it's something that I just loved as a subject. Um, anything that had to do with energy and matter, I just went crazy with. Mm. And I remember having a conversation once with my father on a Saturday afternoon, and he shared with me that, you know, son, I, I know you love physics. I mean, even people call me son of Nelcon. Nelcon was a textbook that we used back in Nigeria for physics. It was like principle of physics. That's awesome. Like, you should call like, him that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm like, wow, okay. So he was an English physicist and he writes this very nice text and I loved it. I read this thing back, back to back and solved every, every challenge in it, every question solved in every end of each chapter. I loved it. How old were you? Everything. Wow, very young. I would say maybe 11 at the time. And this was a college textbook? Oh, it gets very interesting. It gets better on, than that. It gets better than that. So... My father sat down with me and said, BC, you know, you're doing this. And my dad is big in academia. He has, both my parents are very accomplished scientists. My dad is a very prominent geologist who got into business administration and ended up getting his doctorate. My mom is a brilliant biochemist, absolutely brilliant. I mean, intimidates my father. 
people think I'm, I'm special. My mom is like dwarfs me. Wow. So she's a very brilliant woman. If you meet her, very humble, very nice. And my father told me on that Saturday afternoon, you know, BC, I know you love physics, but it won't really get you very far. You put, the best thing you'll probably do is get your name in the back of a textbook. Now that's kind of harsh for him to say that, but my father, being an African father, it was pretty straightforward, and I thanked him for that. Now on the flip side, my mom was very dis dis disappointed that I didn't have affinity for things chemistry, because that's her love. And she had me go to the factory with her, they own a cosmetics company. She had me go to the factory with her and try and stay in lab with her, and I just didn't have interest. I'm looking at how the plunger works than anything else, and caring what happens inside, let's say, uh, I'd care more about a viscosity meter and how it measures it than what could happen with these separate compounds and combining it to form a finished product. I could care less. And my mom didn't like it. She was very vocal with that. And as any African child would, they always want to make their parents happy and I, I want to do the same thing. So I came to this bright conclusion. And this is based upon, once again, my parents being so big with academia providing us with all the means of, of, of information that we need. Um, we had a library in our home. Um, if, for those of you who may be old school, you may remember Encyclopedia Britannica. Yep. So it's an entire set. Um, that was before years, the internet, before guys. Before the internet. And I found that series so fascinating. I read and knew pretty much every page in that as wow. I was growing up. And that's every, and so it goes it's from like, A to Z. Think of uh, like a Yellow Pages thickness times, what was it, 24 oh, chapters? Yeah. Because even some alphabets had multiple. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so that's right. had multiple books. So um, I think it was like maybe M had M, like one and two, and it was just, just big. So as in my reading excursion, I found this curriculum known as chemical engineering. Okay. And it was perfect. I'm like, wait a minute, this is clever. I can satisfy my mom's desire for me to be in a curriculum that's chemistry based but I still can explore engineering, which is still based in physics. So I think this is great. And in essence, it's just a curriculum where you learn how to take raw materials and create finished products. You can design plants to do that, processes, you name it. Perfect. So I tell my parents, I want to study this. Now, in Nigeria, we, we follow the English system, uh, the system from the UK. And there's this very interesting procedure that you have to go through to enter university. And if you want to get into a discipline that's very lucrative, let's say you know, law, uh, medicine, engineering, you have to have very high marks to be able to get into a proper university. So if you fail this exam or you don't get those marks, you have to wait a year to take it again. Okay. So here's a challenge. Here you are, you're 17, 18, 19 year old trying to get into college and if you fail, you have to wait another year. So I saw a lot of my aunties and uncles get into university at the age of 20, 21. I'm like, ooh. I don't want to experience that. I don't want to fail. So I asked my and parents. And that would be late. That would right? be late. So oh, okay. Considered late. Okay. So I, I, I told my parents, that, you know, Dad, Mom, I really would like to do a mock of the exam, like a test of the exam before it's time, my time. Okay. So I'd like to register. So at this point, I'm in the American equivalent of ninth grade. And I registered for the exam so that when I take it in my 10th grade, I'd feel comfortable. So when 12th grade comes, I'm ready to go. Now, and th and this, was this. Th this was your idea? This was my idea. Yeah, I mean, it made sense. Because yeah. I was really, I was terrified of failure, didn't want to disappoint my parents. I wanted to pass the first time in. I saw my uncles and aunties who were quite brilliant, wanted to become, you know, uh, pre-med majors or, or get into law, you know, failing. So, my parents agreed. I registered at the office and then uh, downtown and took the examination. So, I took it very seriously as I love to read. Um, I picked up chemistry books. Uh, college level books, of course. 
um, high school level, um, I guess 12th grade level physics, uh, mathematics, you name it. And I took it seriously. I would, I'd go to one of my parents' buildings that are not quite finished, and I would literally sit there and read from morning to evening. Wow. My parents would check up on me. My mom would make sure I have food, send someone to bring me something. And I took it seriously for months. Every weekend after, you know, after school, I'd study. Weekends after school, I'd study. Um, I think a couple of times if I had a difficulty with a, with a subject, my parents would have a tutor come by to the house and help me out. So very good. You won't believe what happens then. The exam time comes. I take the exam. It's a little bit tough. Results come out the next year. I passed. Wow. Engineering. And my dad asked me, what do you want to do? <laughs> and I'm like, I will go. I was accepted into a very prestigious university in another state, another state university of technology. It's like, a, it's like our, our Caltech, our, our MIT there. And so very prestigious. And I'm 15. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I'm sure it's broken by now, but at the time, and it was on the papers and everything, I was the youngest person to enter university in Nigeria at the time. Wow. At the time. And I went. And my parents escorted me there. I had an uncle who's an architect who lived there. But he's always on site, so he's never around. So I was by myself. And it was one of those things where, Stan, for a year, I didn't learn much of anything. Our technology back home wasn't advanced. I mean, our books were from the 60s. I'm someone who, what I read in Encyclopedia Britannica was more advanced than what I was learning in school, which is crazy. So it just wasn't there. And um, a little background, my parents both went to school here in the United States mm-hmm. um, to study. My dad went and did his geology and his doctorate, and my mom did biochemistry and so on and so forth. They went to Southern California, and I told my parents, after a year, I'm not learning anything. I'm great school, great experience. Um, I met some great people. Um, I'm not getting picked on. People even admire what I'm doing. It's great, but... So you were I accepted? I was accepted, went to university. Okay. At the age of 15 in Nigeria, to study petrochemical engineering, but we just didn't have technology. So um, after a good discussion with my parents and them discussing, they decided, you know, it's a good idea. But my dad was really tied up on expanding the factory at the time. Um, he was traveling to and from Italy and Korea and just didn't have the ability to escort me here to the United States. But there was an oil company family that he used to work for when he was here in the United States. And he felt it was a good idea if they met me at the airport at LAX mm-hmm. and I just fly out. <laughs> so he was overseas. My mom escorted me to the state, to the country capital, Lagos, at the time. And with two suitcases, I boarded, a, I think it was Alitalia <laughs> from Nigeria to Italy to LAX. Mm. And arrived with two suitcases. Um, now this is in 1989. Mm-hmm. And met a family with a name that said B.C. Ezerioha. And so that's my background, how I came here. Now, why is this so important to why I started B.C. Moto? Well, ever since I came to this country, it's been my... I'm sorry. Ever since I came to this country, it's been my goal to make my parents happy, to pretty much prove myself. After a few weeks of staying here, I told my dad to stop sending me resources. I'm going to take care of myself. I got my first job at a Carl's Jr., which is very difficult. In retrospect, what I did with my parents, telling them not to help me out financially anymore, was a blessing and also a curse in disguise. Because it was a blessing because it allowed me to become very independent. It was a curse because it was very difficult. I mean, for someone who I really didn't have to do much of anything growing up, to now having to fend for myself was very difficult. And the family I lived with ended up um, experiencing some very tough financial problems with the company. So they ended up sending the company and and moving out to um, uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Okay. And since I was already in Southern California, registered in school and college, I could not have the opportunity to go with them. 
So now you're on your so, own. So, not quite. My father, when he was in school here in the United States, um, came across this very nice lady who was just all about African culture and African students. So she hosts these African get-togethers and parties at her residence. And it, it was a very nice area when he was in school in the 60s. And this lady was just a lovely, lovely woman, Mrs. Jones. And she, do you ever know those old ladies who, no matter what happens in their community, they won't leave? Yes. They're like, this is my home. I bought this. I'm leaving. I don't care what happens. I'm never leaving my home. Yes. Okay. Well, she lived in this very nice Jewish community mm -hmm. um, in the 60s. But that community started changing quite rapidly as the 70s and 80s came to be into the 90s when I started joining her. But she wouldn't leave. So she picked me up when the Lancasters moved to uh, uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And uh, I moved to her house in Compton. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so <laughs> believe it or not, Compton used to be a nice Jewish community, but it changed. Right. And Compton was a very interesting place in the 90s. Um, I experienced uh, the riots. I experienced it. I physically experienced all of that. Wow. And my dad, I guess, maybe still thought Compton was okay because that's how he remembered it back in the day. It's hard to change that first, <laughs> yes. the first impression. So it's only when he visited me once, he's like, what is going on? And I'm like, dad, I'm fine. I'm responsible. I'm fine. But long story short, I wasn't pretty much on my own, but I lived through this other family now in an area that was just very interesting from people who would make fun of, you know, where I was from, even though we're from the same descent, um, to what I was driving. You know, I should be driving something a little more cooler, mm -hmm. like a mm -hmm. Cutlass Supreme with Dayton's or a Mustang 5.0 yep. with some nice, you know, Antero wheels or something, not a Nissan or a CRX or something that's apt for a student. Proving myself is what allowed me to be where I am today. I just mentioned a moment ago the, about a Nissan or a CRX. It was my first car that I got when I was here. Um, the cars I really loved, I loved two cars when I first came to America because I was so involved in everything automotive. I loved the MR2 first generation mm. and the Pontiac Fiero. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you're laughing, okay. but I love, I mean, okay. So mid-engine, rear-wheel drive, sports go. car, yeah. looks like a Ferrari, like Ferrari in both cases. Yeah, wedgy, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. MR2, the supercharged one was actually very it nice. Was cool. it, it was cool. hard to keep it pointed in a straight <laughs> line. Uh, Fiero has its biggest claim to fame is being a kit car for everything else. There you go, kit car for a 308. <laughs> <laughs> or a 288 or, or a 40 exactly. or whatever. But um, but they look very similar. It's the same do. car. It has a, yeah, it's pretty much yeah. the same wedge shape that looks kind of yeah. futuristic, very relatively aerodynamic and being as studious as I am, remember, I'm the guy who, Cyclopedia Britannica, right? I go to a local bookstore, I get consumer reports, I read up on both cars, Toyota is absolutely fantastic, mm -hmm. wonderful, here's the price point. I can afford that working by myself. I don't want to call dad. Fiero, really cool looking car, but played with problems with fires and mm -hmm. reliability yeah. and quality control, so maybe not a good idea if I'm going to be a student. What could I get that looks similar to this, but is not as expensive? Consumer Report tells me it's the Honda CRX. So it looks a little yeah, similar. A little, a little similar. similar. Front wheel which, which drive gen? now. First gen or second gen? Second gen. I like those. Yeah, okay. second gen. So I found a 1988. SI, EX, HF. Ooh, well, guess what? As a student, what do you think I would have gotten as a student? HF. HF. So the high fuel efficiency <laughs> <Yeah>. HF, which <laughs> ended up later on also being another blessing in disguise, which is pretty cool. Um, but long story short, the HF is what I picked up, and it was absolutely the beginning of the end for me. 
why. The Honda scene in the early 2000s, late 90s, mid 90s, didn't have any aftermarket support. There was nothing that existed. If you wanted something, you kind of had to create it yourself. Yeah, you can buy an option magazine and see some of the stuff in Japan, but it's typically for the older stuff and really race, but nothing really street friendly. And it was really expensive, so, and it's like there was Spoon and there it. was... Well, Spoon, I don't even remember Spoon as I think back to 93. I don't even remember them then. Um, when I think about the 93, I think of RSI Kimoto, I think mm-hmm. of HKS, yes. I think of Mugen, um, even in the United States. Is it States, Mugen or Mugen? Well, I, I hear been... both. I hear okay, Mugen, okay, okay. Mugen. Um, I, I think of, um, uh, wow, uh, Backyard Special. I think of all these other you know, companies. That's what I think of back then. June to some extent. June, I know yes. A little bit into Hondas. But um, I, don't, I don't remember yeah, any of these, these newer ones. And then there were very big Nissan, very big Toyota as well. In Japan, Honda wasn't the marquee if you want to modify. You know, you want. You right, want, it was the Nissan. Skylines, yeah. it was the Supras, yeah. it was the Subarus, I would that, say. Was, yeah. Absolutely, but Honda wasn't. So, I was having that, if you wanted something, it was, it was really interesting. Um, I always had interest, but never, ever, ever, ever did anything. Because I'm here to study, work, go to school, get my degree, and ideally go home and help my parents with a factory. Okay, that's my goal. All right. One day I get up to go to school. I stop my CRX and I hear this deep sound that's confusing emanating from the rear of the car. I hear this from the rear of the car. Yeah, I'm like, okay, what is that? I knew something was wrong, but I also kind of liked the sound. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I read it kind of school, well, I had a perforated muffler. You had a hold so your muffler. I hold muffler. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, but I knew I need to fix it. So where do I go as a student with this? CRXHF uh, dealership. So I go to, I was, you know, what's the closest dealership to Compton? Gardena, Gardena Honda. I go to Gardena Honda. And they quote me like something like $600 to replace the muffler. I'm like, $600 to a student is like $6 million to me now. Like, oh mm-hmm. my God, I can't just spend that. You know, that's all the money I have in my bank. I can't do that. So I uh, politely decline and I look for a local muffler shop because I was told you just go to a local. Julio's muffler or whatever and just go there and get it. Mm-hmm. So I go there and then the uh, muffler shop says to me, um, oh, we can fix this for you. It'll be, I think it ended up coming to like $150. Okay, that sounds better. It's a Dynamax Ultraflow. I don't know what that is, but sure. Oh, it's much better. It's stainless steel construction. It'll look just like this, but it'll have a nice tone to it. I'm like, oh, that's good. I kind of like the tone I have now, but I know it's not right. They put it on the car. I start it up when they had me pull the car off the rack and it has this nice, deep, throaty tone. I'm like, I'm in love. I drive the car, I feel power. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, my car feels faster. I stay out of the gas. My mileage is even better. That's it, I'm intrigued. So what do I need to do to understand what just happened? I need to read. Mm-hmm. So no internet, I can go on Google or Yahoo or whatever, <laughs> Netscape, or anyway, anyway, whatever as well. But I couldn't do any of that. So there's a, a place called San Andres in Orange County. I went there and bought this Honda Performance Handbook. Okay, I have a Honda. Performance Handbook, I read this thing cover to cover. I learn about Jackson Racing, mm-hmm. and Mugen, and Mugen, whatever you call it. And I learn about the you know, excursions. I learn about camshafts and what it does. And I learn about um, uh, exhaust systems and how it makes more power and pulling heads and carburation and induction. And I'm intrigued. And from then on, I had to find out more information. 
the back of the book had a glossary of people who they interacted with to write this book and Oscar Jackson was there but he's a little far away and not as accessible but there's a place called Advanced Engine Management AM and they were in Compton oh mm -hmm. that's nearby I'm gonna go there and see if they can teach me more about how I can make this car more efficient now you're going for efficiency or for for excitement or my appeal then was efficiency it had to be efficiency that made me experience more power it had to be efficiency that improved my gas mileage all that is me taking a lump of combined metal known as internal combustion engine and making it more efficient to create more power sure make it more efficient for because i'm not changing my fuel content i'm not changing i just want to know what where does it improve the efficiency? Where does power economy come from? Right. So you're, you're basically your assumption was that it wasn't optimized from the factory, yes. and something I just did improved yes. upon Absolutely. what they came out with. What Absolutely. were the compromises? Yes. Okay. Had to. Yeah. Went to the office in Compton. Closed. They moved to Gardena. No problem. Not too far away. I go to Gardena, meet the owner, John Consciati, mechanical engineer, and we hit it off. Mm -hmm. I mean, he became to today. He's like a mentor to me. We hit it off beautifully. And John and I, John you know, told me everything I needed to know and kind of thought I was crazy because I said, oh, what about this? Well, what about that? Can we try this? Yeah, no one really does that. But I, one thing I can, you know, circling back to my parents, one thing I can really credit my father to in particular was, um, you have children? Mm -hmm. Okay, I do too. And it, it's very easy for us if we see our son or daughter do something, we say, don't do that. My dad was kind of the opposite. If I was trying to take something apart or break something, open something up, he would say, wait, 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 wait. Here's how you do it. Mm. And it would help me open it up. Or if I want to do he said, okay, you can take it apart, but pay attention. And make sure you put it back the same way or mm. better mm -hmm. if you can. So he encouraged that in me. That's amazing. So fast forward to... That's hard to do as a parent. It, it, I, know, <laughs> I know it's very difficult. Like, no, leave it alone. You want to destroy it. And so fast forward to me meeting John Consciati, I was the kind of person, well, I'm, I'm, I've always had that curiosity. It never went away. It was never disciplined out of me. I was always curious and I wanted to find ways of, you know, John, tell me how can it is possible. He's like, no one does that. Well, I will try it and I'll give you results. And he's like, I love it. Mm. And that is how it began. I became very successful as the years progressed, experimenting on my car and figuring things out. Um, I never stopped. I almost got kicked out of school for doing illegal experiments to understand the process with carburation versus injection. And, well, and, and don't gloss over that. Okay. How do you... <laughs> <laughs> okay. What does that look like? That was interesting. So here's the thing. Um, in my excursion with John uh, from AEM, John Consciati, uh, I had this makeshift induction that I had made. Like a flow bench? Um, no, no. That's too far. Just on my engine, you have the throttle body, you have the piping that goes to an air box, and you have the air box. And I knew that was a restriction because I learned very quickly that how I was able to gain efficiency was by removing the restrictions that are imposed on a combustion engine by the factory. And it could be for emissions, noise, whatever the case may be. But I knew that if I removed those restrictions, the energy that was required to push air out of the engine through exhaust or induce air into the intake, if I remove those restrictions, I now have energy available for me to propel forward. So, first thing I did was use, went back to my same muffler shop, had to make a pipe to connect to some Toyota filter that I got from Toy Sport and Gardena. And by doing that, I gained power. Nice deep noise in the front. I heard that it was it sounded good to me. Even though I think the average consumer wouldn't like that sound, but I love the, the induction noise. The induction noise, which manufacturers go out of their way to cancel completely get rid of yeah. really eliminate. Or if they send the cabin, it's very tuned properly to give you a you know very nice sound. 
but I, I, I liked it and I had I needed more so I did that there's nothing that I can do John recommended something very very how should I say um, extraordinary which the average guy wouldn't do in the time but I was all for it he said you should really take that whole induction off and go carbureted so go backwards go from fuel injected to carbureted but it's a very rudimentary backwards, fuel injection so let's say and you have more adjustments. in terms of the technology yes but in terms of airflow which is the way to get air into the engine to make power it was a step forward so instead of your standard pot style carburetor these are side drafts the stuff we used to see in the magazines in Japan that yes. you did race cars mm-hmm. so I'm like ooh that's a good idea how much he gave me a price like oh that's expensive but I saved up my pennies saved up my money and got a set of Makoni 40mm carburetors with a TWM manifold that's a big carburetor for that little motor uh, it's not but actually um, if we fast forward to me drag racing with that setup I end up going to 50s yeah but that must yeah. have been after some cams and some head oh, work yeah, and some cams. bigger valves and it gets even better <laughs> in my excursion with experimenting with that even with a 40mm throttle body or, or carburetor you still have a Venturi that's like maybe 36 or 34 sure. So that Venturi, even though it's there to allow air to cross over the medium and increase velocity, you're trying to help optimize the fuel coming through the nozzle, but that ends up being a restricting point for you. Well, so it, if you have a the Venturi is there to accelerate the air yes. to create a low pressure zone to suck the fuel out of, the flow bowls, out of the flow bowls. But of course, exactly. it is. therefore, it's a, it's a restriction. It's a restriction. So how does so. the kicking, kicking, kicking out of school part come in? Oh, that, that's really good. <laughs> I'm getting there. So I installed these carburetors. I gained, I'm not exaggerating, 12% improvement all across the board. Now my fuel mileage wasn't as ideal because I didn't have the capability of regulating fuel properly in lower RPMs, but the power was just ridiculous. You, you were so now was, being a true tuner and going for a wide open throttle, that's yes, really what you cared about. about that. <laughs> Mid-range was important to me and wide open throttle. Off idle wasn't so bad, um, but I know I just my mileage wasn't so great when it was cruising. But it sounded even better. Mm. Deeper tone, I'm playing with filters and, and, and trumpet lengths. And, and I'm noticing all these movement of my of my torque curve, and I didn't quite understand anything about the induction harmonics, harmonics at all at the mm-hmm. time. But this is all part of the learning curve. So, but the one thing I noticed is that 12% improvement. Then my friends who started, I started getting into the circle of guys who were doing something similar. I converted their cars too. They're picking up the same amount of power. I'm like, okay, something is going on here. I had to know. As a chemical engineering student at the time, I had access to a chemical engineering lab. So my goal was to mimic what happens inside my induction to find out why it makes such a difference. It can't just be air, it has to be something else going on. I mimicked, so we had this, um, we had access to so many different types of equipment, but we had this very nice pump system um, that can act as a pump and a vacuum source. And it has a chamber that doesn't allow any moisture to go into the motor itself. And I did not use fuel, I use saline solution as my liquid medium. Okay. So even though I understand that the density is different, I knew it could still give me decent results because density wasn't anywhere near that of petrol. Well, not too far away from petrol, but not exact as petrol So or fuel. So I had this clear device. I got an intake manifold from, I think it was my engine or one of my friend's engines that I converted. With a 12-volt source and a pump, I was able to activate the injector and see the spray. So you know how the old injectors spray? So it was the atomization was what you were discovering? Yes, that's what happened. Okay. And when I did it with the carburetor, simulated I think about 11 inches of uh, depression and opened the throttle. 11 inches of mercury of vacuum? Yes, of okay, vacuum. Okay, because depression. Um, and opened the, <laughs> the throttle, 
I saw a cloud. Mm. It wasn't a spray like the injectors. It looked like a cloud mist. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, Eureka. As I did that, a lab tech came in. Like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just, I'm just playing with some stuff. This is not authorized. And he had to report me to the dean. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, so. I, was, I was picturing you blowing shit up. <laughs> oh, no, okay. no, no, no. I, I don't think I'd be here today. Like, like, like a backfire story. or something, yeah, no, you know. No. Hey. So um, you're not supposed to do um, experiments that were not authorized in, in school. And then I, I really cried my way out of that one. <laughs> and then, okay. And hey, I didn't get expelled well, whatever from Whatever works, man. Whatever works. <laughs> so that being said, I was able to uh, explore and always experiment. And that opportunity where I continue to learn and explore curiosity is what brings me here to today. Um, I did end up graduating from school and it was always my goal to uh, graduate from school, get some experience in the United States in a prestigious firm and then go back and help my parents with a factory. So upon graduation I got a, um, I had some internships in uh, Arco and uh, Mobile and I knew very quickly I didn't want to be a chemical engineer looking at gauges, maybe being a Homer Simpson looking at gauges all day. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that. Mm. So I knew that the uh, petroleum industry wasn't for me, but I knew that I loved figuring things out. So I went to the R&D sector. I went to pharmaceutical research, uh, got a job there. It was actually quite nice because I started at seven, I'm done at three, and I had the rest of my day to tinker with cars, which is great. And I had a good friend of mine that worked out his garage, which was fantastic. And it was actually very, very good. Um, experienced some things there that weren't very ethical in that pharma environment. So I decided to leave the environment and get into uh, an opportunity where I can still use my, my science background because I love everything scientific, but also love interacting with people, like how you and I are talking. And doing my quest for a different job, I was opened up to this exciting world of pharmaceutical sales. <laughs> Which Wait, <laughs> but you're not blonde with, you know. <laughs> you know I, why do I keep hearing that? I get that a lot. You must look great in heels. <laughs> <laughs> the great thing about that industry is I get to interact with fellow scientists to some extent, physicians, uh, clinical technicians, and, and, and research pharmacists. I get to talk about the technical aspects of the wares that I carry, but I get to interact with humans. So, because <laughs> when I was in lab, I was with some really peculiar people. Which not all researchers value the interacting with humans part, right? A majority of them in the United States do not value right. that. It was very, very peculiar personalities that I worked with. And I'm, I'm really, as you can see, I'm outgoing, I love racing, I love doing, and I love science, but I don't, I'm not this weird hermit who just well, doesn't have any kind of personality whatsoever and doesn't know how to, has no emotional intelligence whatsoever and just can't, I, that's not me, but I, I, I love science. You, you have a Better much than, broader yeah. range than most, because usually typical, typically people that go as far as you did in the scientific realm, mm-hmm. they're more interested in things than people, right? Typically you're peculiar. gonna go one way you or know, the other. And, and that may be a, a Western thing because no, 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 it's, it's think, a psychology think, thing. Think, think, about, think about the environment I was in. If you met my mom, the woman, freaking brilliant. Mm-hmm. But she, you wouldn't even know what she was. But she is so down to earth, so outgoing, dresses impeccably well. We go, when her and my dad go out, they'll dance together. I mean, she's just really well, well-rounded. My grandfather, same thing. Very big in academia, lovely man, to his hundreds lived and just passed away a couple years ago. Wonderful individual. My father's a really cool, hip guy, speaks very well. And they're both scientists. I have uncles and aunties, same thing, who are you know uh, industrial chemists to physicians, and they are. No- I come to America, I'm, I BS you not. And in school, I had like one friend because the rest of them were freaking weird. 
<laughs> so you're saying we need to send our engineering students to Nigeria <laughs> for a semester? Do, do. <laughs> they dress while, better. We dress better while going. <laughs> and so, long story short, um, I had to. I, I couldn't. I, and above and beyond that, thing and, and the unethical thing I saw was there was a project that I was given, was given this unknown compound to to break down and create a process for quality control with this with this with this. I think it was inorganic with this inorganic substance. I finished it in a day. Mm-hmm. I finished the whole process in a day. But my team leader. Uh, who was a PhD holder, held it for two weeks and didn't submit it to our boss, saying, oh, it was such a difficult compound. We need more, more funding. We just, when, you know, so he was playing when, the yeah, game. So when I saw that, that whole, you know, my, you know, welcome to politics, when I saw that whole thing, it really rubbed me the wrong way. I, I felt really horrible. I felt horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really finished this, and I was proud that I finished it in time. He should have been proud and cascaded it on so that we, we can get even more funding being that we're doing a smashing job, not that, oh, this is so difficult. Anyway, so I started looking for something else. So I got into pharma and Stan, I blew out the water. Mm. Because you're right, the average pharma rep was a hot blonde with the heels, mm-hmm. trying to charm her way through the same position and gets there and doesn't know what she's talking about most of the time. And here I am, and sometimes I'll have, probably have to bring a partner who's blonde to get access, but the gatekeepers didn't like the blonde girl. So right. I get there, I get to the doctor, and then when I get to them, I actually have substance to talk about, and I can help them become, in many ways, better, better physician by giving them access to medications that are improved compared to what they use when they're medical school and so on and so forth. So and you're actually, it sounds like well. you're legitimately trying to help them I, I do their I job was. versus yes. just pushing Absolutely. XYZ drug for benefits, for financial help. And I, I, I understood all the questions, went to home office quite a bit, and I always cared about the pharmacology because that's where I did my R&D, and now I have knowledge, and then when my background doctor asked me, wait a minute, you're not a music major. What did you study? <laughs> and we're talking about, oh, and then it gives me more credibility. So I started doing very well financially. Now, what does that do for me? Now I'm doing well financially. I'm in my mid-20s. I have this pharma gig. More car parts. <laughs> so I get to experiment more with my cars. At the same time, I'm now drag racing quite a bit. Um, did a little bit of street racing, but saw some mishaps in Ontario and stopped that. And started doing semi-pro stuff at some of the local events in Southern California. And that was the that was the beginnings of front wheel drive drive racing. That is correct. So I was part of that whole. That's Chris Rado. Oh, Chris! Yeah, we did. I did stuff way before Chris and Steph and Mm -hmm. Miles and the rest of those guys. That's when guys were laughing at Honda drag racers putting wheelie bars on the cars. That is correct. And And that wheelie bar stuff came from Ed Bergenholtz, who used to race with us back then too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So long story short, I started doing that. American Honda was sending scouts out to events to look for people to interact with their brand to help them have a more stronger presence and this is not like now where you see a lot of front-wheel drive drag racers racing old cars from the 90s people are racing current vehicles my CRX was a maybe a generation before if you mm-hmm. think about that so the newer cars then was a 93 94 Civics and the, which is known as EG the EFs were before that and that's what I had so I had a relatively new car that I was racing and people were racing current cars so it helped Honda in their sales and I was scouted by a Honda rep mm-hmm. so a gentleman Johnny Shinaga a very nice Japanese guy approached me and said, hey, would you like to make some money racing? Of course. <laughs> Wait, I can do that? Yeah, of course. Well, if we run this Honda Factory Performance Banner, every time you win, we'll give you $1,600. Sounds great to me. So that's how I began with my excursion with the OEMs, is do a race program where I go and do drag racing. When I win, not if I play second or third or final quarter, last qualifier, when I win, I get 1600 bucks, and I won quite a bit. The one thing that I enjoyed tremendously was creating products for my cars. So if I came up with a new camshaft design, or since I couldn't weld, 
if I had an exhaust design and found a fabricator fabricated for me and I gained something, I cut it up again and try something else, I'll gain more, and I'll cut it up and try something else, and I lost, and I'll go back to my previous design and pay attention to what did I do differently. People ask me, BC, you just ran three tenths faster. What the hell did you do to your car? Oh, I have this new exhaust manifold I had. Could you make me one too? Uh, sure. How much? Uh, like, give me like 700 bucks. I'll have it in a couple weeks. All right, here. <laughs> so doing that became so popular for me with camshafts, with intake design. Who was grinding your cams? Because that's, that's a so specific shop. I went like to... Like Isky or somebody? You're very good. I, because of my affiliation, being Gardena, Gardena was, Gardena was almost our automotive mecca. You had Aries, you had Isky, mm-hmm. you had all these mm-hmm. places around you. Yeah. So yeah, I talked to old man Isky and he Makes sense. put some <laughs> old Porsche profile. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, um, sir, this didn't work well because our engines rotate counterclockwise. <laughs> so I need the lobes on, so here's a new cam. And uh, so that's how kind of it started there. And with regrinds and this worked and my friends were putting injected cars, it wouldn't run. I put my carpet car, it runs fine. So it was so many opportunities and that's, that's really how I started. And it's from word of mouth that people came to me that I was able to provide that and became a mini entrepreneur just out of that. Now, despite that, me being BC, um, I tend to give quite a bit. I was not very good at pricing myself. <laughs> um, my car was full of stickers. If I liked a product, I put the stickers on my car. So my whole car looked like a, a driving billboard. I had Excel and MSD and Jacobs and HKS, even though I had HKS components on my car. And you know, and, and areas. Well, and, that was also so a style of the time. Like, it was, but it's what I thought was ideal. Yeah, it was. It was. You're right. It was such a style that if you remember, people would say, "Oh, yeah, it must add horsepower because these guys are putting so many stickers on their yes. cars." You know, so. <laughs> and then in 2001, I met someone that changed my life. Someone very important to me. In 2001, I met a young lady when I was on my way to Texas to race. And uh, her name is Hedy. She ended up, now, fast forward today, she's my wife and we have two kids. But she came into my life at the time in the, in the early 2000s and came from a very enterprising family. So here I am, I come from a family full of chemists or, or scientists who happen to have a business. She comes from a family that they're all about enterprising, you know. So um, I had more affinity towards the sciences. She's just all about inter- being enterprising. And, she saw my car and said, hey, you know, I'm your girl and everything, but these people are paying, are, are they paying you for these stickers? You have too many stickers in your car. No, I just like the products, you know. Well, they should pay you. No, I, I don't, how, why would they, I don't even understand the concept. Why would they pay me to run, uh, no, it doesn't make sense. Honda pays me because I'm helping them sell cars, but uh, I don't know about this. You didn't make the connection that you're helping I, these I, guys I, sell no, components. I, didn't. I, just, I just felt like <laughs> I bought the components, they were kind enough to, in a market that wasn't that was still in its infancy, a market that wasn't very lucrative. I mean, the lucrative thing there was then was the small block Chevy, mm-hmm. um, you know, the small block Ford, uh, you know, some of the Dodge. That, that's, that's what made money for Edelbrock and, and Iski and the rest of them. Sport Compact was nothing. We had big events, but nothing compared to big domestic events. Well, and they were to, still you know, considered econo boxes. They, they were, were still. They were, and they were, you know, and, and we were getting faster, but I mean, our fastest car, the car that we all looked up to was Archie Mordano's CRX, and he ran like 12.6. Okay. But even towards it, very fast, by the way, because um, I think at that time I was running his 12 season, I was running a 14.8 or 14, even 15.3, I think. So that was really 12s. was, oh my God. But you see domestic out there clicking off 11s and 10s, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was the place to be. So how can I help them? No, I'm very fortunate that they're even 
providing components for us. I'm happy for that. She disagreed with me. She kept bothering me so much about this. Stan, she kept bothering me so much. I said, you know, out of frustration, I said, you know what? Since you believe in this so much, you will get me money. I'll give you 10% of everything I get. She's like, oh, yeah? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's kind of the same laugh she gave me. Um, that same year, I had to pay her $4,000. Damn. The next year, I had to pay her eight. Eighty grand. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot today. I'm but... really doing... And that's, we're talking 2000s, early 2000s, 80s. Yeah. So, I mean, fast forward today, uh, she's an integral part of my business. The reason that we have um, accounts today with the OEMs um, is because of her. She does all the negotiating still, and I do all the technology still. So we're a very that's wonderful team. That's such a team. great team. Yeah. That's fantastic. And, uh, so that's how, that's how we came to be. Beast Motor came to exist out of sheer necessity because enthusiasts like you and I who want to go fast on a track would approach me. And, you know, want me to provide them components. Now, I was still very happy doing my pharmaceutical job. I, I very quickly got uh, promoted to leadership. I was 28 at the time. And in that company, it was the third largest company. I think Merck and Pfizer were bigger than us. And we was it like Engine or somebody? Here? No, we called Hooks. Engine did a lot more bio. Mm-hmm. So we were called, um, it was Hooks, Meyer, and Russell. We ended up being Aventus. Um, and... Hooks my cell, you may have heard of things like Allegra mm-hmm, or Cardizem. Those are, that's that company. So they're pretty big. They're not we're as big as Pfizer, third. And I was very pleased to be part of that company. It was a growing company. I was really moved around in corporate quite a bit. So I was, I was going places, making a good six-figure income. I thought it was great. I thought it was baller, six-figure. And um, it was very good. But something very interesting happened. My RD, my boss, retired very elegant man, well-dressed Italian man, hardcore Italian, like a man's man. Mm-hmm. He drinks tuaca, goes to the finest restaurants, takes care of his team, uh, mentored me very well. I learned a lot about him, about leadership and the politics of corporate and all this good stuff. And I, I played the game, was right there with, he was great. He retired and my wife and I, or my girlfriend then, went to visit him and his wife in Palm Springs to have dinner. We had dinner, had a great time. And when it came time to pay, I was gonna take the bill. He said, no, 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 we have to go Dutch. I'm like, I'll take care of you. He said, no, PC, I invited you here. I'll take care of you, but I'm on a fixed income now. We have to go Dutch. Can we do Dutch? So I'm looking at him the same way he was looking at me. and like, what happened to my friend? What happened to my boss? I'm like, okay, sir, no problem. We'll do it. And the whole way back, I'm quiet. And my wife, my girlfriend, is asking me, what's the matter? I'm like, but Frank, he's the cool, suave Italian guy. He has a Porsche 911, which he sold to my Nissan Z. Mm. This is a guy who was just smooth and taught me very full of class. We go to the finest restaurants in the country. How we? How is he begging me to go Dutch now that he has a fixed income? And that made me reconsider my future. Like, I always wanted to be like him. At this time now, I'm like, oh, I really know if I want to go back home yet and help my parents. Let me hang out here in America and see if I can learn more stuff and and you know grow in the system. And that terrified me. I said, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I, I don't want to be that. I don't want was, to. Was he just living too lavish of a lifestyle and didn't save up? Or? So, I don't know. Okay. But, okay. but if you take a look at my perspective, he was a gentleman who I thought was just the epitome of class. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has an Eric Porsche, you know, beautiful. He lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, gorgeous house. We go to dinner. He t- find, if it's not a five star restaurant, we wouldn't go. The finest steakhouse in the country. He'll, he'll fly us out to a meeting just to go to a steakhouse. He, we're just doing great things. Now he retires. He says the word or the phrase fixed income, and now he's going Dutch in a 
okay steakhouse in Palm Springs. That scared me. I'm like, something's yeah. wrong. Then the, what made it, the nail in the coffin was who I inherited as a leader after him ended up being someone who I couldn't learn anything from. The, mm-hmm. the lady was just, she was a peer of ours. We all knew she wasn't really up her snuff, but she did a good job at managing upwards. So upper management thought she was fantastic, but her team, her peers knew that she was just working the system. She was playing the game. She was playing the game. And she was, you know, ethnic lady and, you know, played the whole thing. Oh, I'm going to help. You know, I'm here to, to quote, whatever the case may be. Played the whole game very well and got promoted, became my boss. And I'm like, okay, now I'm supposed to learn from you. But she's asking me, so what do we do now? Like, okay, so what is your strategy? <laughs> I'm, like, oh, I'm like, okay, I can't, I need to look for something else. I don't want to do this. So Hedy pulls me to the side and says, hey, BC, I know what you're going through. Have you ever considered probably starting your own thing? I mean, you're doing a lot. You're doing very well on the side. You're making all these exhaust manifolds. You have all these deductions. You bought your own dyno. People are begging you to get into for you to tune for them. You should probably explore this. And like, I, I don't know if I'm cut out for you. Say, BC, you can do it. You, you, you save money. You're good at saving. And that, she's right. At the time, I had enough money saved up to live in austerity, not lavishly, but in austerity, for at least two years. No, I couldn't splurge. I couldn't eat out every day. But I, I was able to take care of my mortgage and all my main bills and have a little bit of something. So I said, you know what, I, I'll do it. I, I think it's time for me to do it. So because of what I saw my previous regional director and the new regional director who I inherited, it just wasn't good for me. So I put in my two weeks notice, really sad because I always had a company car in addition to my toys. And I just got a nice Jeep Grand Cherokee, which is really cool. <laughs> it was fully loaded, which it doesn't sound like a lot, but I, I was in a Ford Escape before, so that makes a difference between Escape and that. Anyway, so I left, and it was the best and the most difficult thing for me to do because I went from making, you know, almost 170 a year to zero, mm. and that was tough. So it was so bad because I wasn't married at the time, and and I didn't have any kids to my knowledge. So that being said, it was good to my knowledge. <laughs> like so that. I said that was that was fantastic. So I started. I had my small facility in in, in Pomona which I, it was a thousand square foot facility. I rented that while I was still working in corporate because I needed a place to store my dyno to do my race nice. car. And that's where I was able to bring you know, people in to you know, make sure that they can take advantage of my services even though I wasn't doing that full time. But now that was my shop. My dyno crate was my desk. It was really <laughs> strange. I had to get my car. I picked up a, a Civic wagon as a bucket, as a parts getter. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a blown head gasket, so it still ran. But if I went up on a hill on the sixty freeway, it would start overheating. But it was really interesting. It was really interesting to go from me wearing three-piece suits every day to now, you know, having my own facility where I had to put up displays by myself in a booth and have my own phone and put the internet in this place, and then also have to dyno cars and wear T-shirts and wear jeans, even though I hated jeans and so on and so forth. It was difficult. As a matter of fact. Uh, my first year was very challenging. I said I'd give it two years, and if things didn't improve, I'd go back to corporate. Mm. And of course, this was 2006, at the beginning of the economic downturn. Sure. And you can imagine what we did, modifying vehicles, creating products for high performance, data tuning, wasn't a necessity. It was it's more a, of a luxury. It's a want, not a need. <laughs> it's a yeah. So that being said, it was tough. But you know what? Once it began, because I was unique, because I did things that were different, because I one of the platforms that people typically didn't pay attention to, but there was always a market there, allowed me to continue to weather 
do well and grow. Did you did you do it because you knew there was a market there, or did you do it and there happened to be a market there? So, if you recall, I was dabbling quite a bit when I was still in corporate. So what I did on the side was nice. I mean, there was one weekend I had to travel back east for a corporate meeting, and my mom was in the country, and she she had had one of my dealers pick up thirteen headers in one day. <laughs> So, and these are headers I was retailing for $1,100 each. Okay. So that was a nice chunk of change that my mom had to hold on to until I came back from New Jersey. So you were like up there um, with, like, so with high tech well. and those good. guys. Yeah. So I remember, yeah. I know John from high tech. Yeah. And um, he's actually who, exp he explained me to some of the technology we had to do with um, exhaust um, design and fabrication. I learned a little bit from him as well as I was curious about my pursuit of, um, you know, here I am a chemical engineer. I focus on mass transfer and, and heat transfer and thermal. And this guy practically just put things together and does extremely well with it. And I always was curious about that intersection between science and the art of fabrication. It always fascinated me because there's some things, you know, I see the post look in your face, there's some things that don't make sense in theory, but work on the racetrack. I agree with why? you. Why? There's a, I agree why? with you, there's a... And there are there, there solutions to, there are reasons why, but most people don't explore but, and, the, and they're not intuitive. Yes, they're not. Oh, Some they're guys not. have a sense yes. that this will work. Absolutely. And then you go, why? And why? they go, don't ask me stupid yeah. questions. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go faster? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great. Right. Okay. It, it, I agree with you. It's I, this, the when I was racing, I had some time. Um, a friend of mine had a, a dyno shop in Inglewood. Yes. Uh, and I put my Integra on there, and I was just swapping headers and playing with intake length, run, yeah. runner length, oh, and filters, yeah. well and that kind of thing. And I was, for me, I was focusing on torque, yes, because it was a spec class. I only had about 140 horsepower to play yeah. with, but and I was running against, I was in a DA uh, Integra, and I was running against CRXs. Wow! So I had better They're stability. Yeah, I had better wow. stability. I had better brakes. They yeah. were better in the corners, so I had to, I had to get some pull on them, and. The things that I had learned working at a cylinder head shop and flow characteristics uh, and just the way fluid dynamics behaves, and I love aerodynamics and fluid dynamics and Good. that kind of stuff. Like I had vortex generators on my, they, on my very car. Very clever, very smart. Um, and I asked if that was very a real thing and I understood yeah. how they worked Understood. and that kind of stuff. But I ended up, my my best setup ended up being, because I was, some I knew some people, they had thrown like a uh, cold air intake, give me, they gave me a cold air intake, they gave me a manifold, they gave right. me a this, they gave me a that. Um, and I was playing with stuff, and I ended up with a modified version of the stock intake runner just cut short with a filter on it. Interesting. And uh, a header that wasn't supposed to work for my setup because I didn't have enough of a cam, but because I stepped it down, uh -huh. it created some back pressure, I, I think. And just the way things worked out and just proven on the dyno of the, I mean, I had guys that I was racing against that were using high-tech headers. Understood. I couldn't afford that. Understood. I actually, my header I actually got from a junk pile because, ah, ah. because it had a burn hole in it. And I'm like, I can weld that Understood. Up, no problem. Understood. Um, and I was playing a little bit with, we were allowed to port match. So I spent a lot of time making sure that the steps between the Understood. intake manifold, the throttle body, that kind of stuff right. were super smooth. Um, and I had just, I had known just enough from being in the cylinder head shop to understand that in certain cases you're not even making more power you're moving power curves yes you're it, with the power band absolutely yeah it's absolutely. the power band you're not absolutely. you're not generating more power um and so i understand what you mean because the guy that i worked with uh rich from west coast Sonderheads, he had this deep knowledge and this kind of instinct and i had a deep thirst for 
understanding what he was doing. Understood. He didn't necessarily want to teach me because he would do an intake and exhaust yeah. in a combustion chamber, right. check it on the flow bench, yeah. and then have me duplicate it seven more times oh, wow. for a V8 application. Understood. And I would go, well, why this and why that? And he's right. like, are you done yet? <laughs> this is a business. But I, I started kind of understanding things. Well, this is a perfect example. You, you know, you have a you know inline four car that's pre-slammed, and then you're on the dyno. You make sure everything's okay. You have another race. You go on the dyno. You, all of a sudden, you pick up power. You're like, wait, what happened? But you noticed when you're jacking up your car to put on the dyno, your header contacted something on the road and it's mm. crushed. Yep. And you're like, okay, my car's gonna put up no power. It's gonna be a piece of crap. But you put out more power. So. Wait, that doesn't make sense. I now have this crush at my collector. Why am I, it should be a restriction. Why am I picking up power? You come to find out as you try and correlate that, what happened that doesn't make sense with science, you just create a Venturi you didn't know. So in the future, and I learned this after many years, I started incorporating Venturi designs in my headers, mm -hmm. even interchangeable Venturis to be able to move power bands and play around with things and so on and so forth. So, it has to do with air, it has to do with velocity, it has to do with, you know, it's just so much that happens, but they all can be explained by science. That's the one thing I love. Um, what's really interesting is, as I started to grow my business, I moved from Pomona to Chino, then here to Ontario, and continued to grow, and it was, it was very, very good. But the OEMs end up becoming a very integral part of our success. You remember the gentleman, John Yoshinaga, who interacted mm -hmm. with me when I was at Honda? Yeah, from mm -hmm. Honda, who scouted me at the racetrack. He called me in 2009 and wanted me to help them with a CRX replacement that they felt that the youth may not find appealing. So, BC, do you mind building this? By the way, I was at AEM in their, next to their entrance when he called. That same AEM where I'm John, they're much bigger now. They're now in Hawthorne, very big company. More folks on electronics and they have an uh, uh, induction division that has a relationship with KN. He calls me and says, BC, we have the CRX replacement. I know you love CRX, this is your first car. Would you mind exploring a build for us for SEMA? Would I mind? I'd be more than honored to. It's a, it's a, it's a hybrid okay. CRZ. Mm -hmm. The hybrid part is where we're kind of concerned. We think that the youth may not like it, but put your magic on it. Do your thing and let's see what happens. You can't swap the engine, you have to keep the original engine in there. Hybrid and all. Now, I started dabbling into Porsches at the time. This is in 2009, and two years prior, I had a Honda client who did Honda Challenge Racing, who drove Porsches daily, and said, BC, you've done such a great job at Hondas. Why don't you play on with these guys? Stuff? What was his name? Benny Pequois. Be oh, you know I know Benny. Benny. Yeah. Benny is the reason why I do Porsches today. Wow, really? Yes. Benny's a really cool guy. I Benny worked on his why. Ferrari 360. What? He brought it here once. I actually have a dyno video of it that's on my YouTube page. Uh, yeah, the red one, right? Yeah. 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 I yeah. did the, you know how he's got the carbon interior? Of course. I you did, did the carbon. Nice. Yeah. He did a flash. I don't know if you guys did it. No. And he wanted me to see, if, and it, it, it did corner that. That was interesting. Benny is the reason why I have, and he know, I talk about him. He is the reason why today I work on Porsches. Because he had a 911 and said, BC, you need to work on this stuff. And he said, I'll, you know how he is. I'll leave it here. You can just play with it. Let me know when you're done. I said, no, it's your car. I'm not going to, no, no. I'll do things my way. I'll find a, a car and I'll, I'll play around that create product myself. And he said, okay, just let me know. And he's, he's my biggest influence when it comes to Porsche. So one thing I didn't notice much younger in life is that attention is the basis for anything when it comes to business. 
And whether that business is the business of education, the business of being able to create opportunities for your company, the business of attracting a mate, whatever the case may be, attention. You cannot get the girl if you don't get her attention. You cannot get the guy if you don't get his attention. You cannot get the business. No one would take money out of their wallet and pay for a service or a product if you don't get their attention. The, the simple it doesn't way, happen. The simple way I express it is the best product always wins as long as people know about it. There you go. Amen. And that, best, that last Amen. part is actually yeah. more important than the first of part. Of course, it is. Because <laughs> there's some shitty products that sell it really is. well. You're, you're right. Like the tornado. Anyway. <laughs> I, 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 but you got I people's actually, attention. I actually <laughs> tested it on a dyno. Did it work? No. Of course not. <laughs> but it got people's attention and people bought it. Anyway, let me not get into that. That was a whole tangent I'll go on there. Well, I noticed very... You know, a long time ago, even in the school with the engine I used, I did very well with an engine that was all I could afford. And because that's all I could afford and it was unique, I got a lot of attention. So I thought to myself, I'm going to build a Porsche 911. I know that. What do I need to do to make sure everyone pays attention without offending a majority of the people who pay attention? So let's see. I did a single cam in my D series forever, D series in my CRX forever, that gave me a lot of attention. Um, the average thing was to just swap out a B-series engine in it. Okay, that's good. Porsche guys love the 911, the classic ones. Um, I know the current one then was 997. That's cool, but let me not touch that. Let me do something old. I know. I have an idea. Why don't I do what I've done with my race cars? Take an older chassis and fuse new technology. Porsche 911, that's a perfect candidate. What engine do Porsche people think is a piece of crap that I can prove is a viable engine? I know, M96 from the Carrera. Okay. <laughs> People hate those. They call it ticking time bombs. They say the IMS remain seal issues. They have IMS intermediate shaft bearing issues. Oh, de-chunking on the sleeve. Perfect. And, and now, not, not, that's not the turbo GT3 motor with the Inca, no, uh, Inca no. cell. This that's is the regular not a one. Base. This yeah. is a standard water-cooled. Yep, yep, yep. Porsche's first foray into the water-cooled market after they saw the advantages of being quiet and efficiency with four valves and they start with a Boxster and then went into the Carrera. Well, that's a good one. And I'm not afraid, why? Because I love taking things apart, figuring them out. And in the Honda world where I come from, none of our engines are perfect. You address the inefficiency. You want to turbocharge it, you want to do some crazy high horsepower NA stuff, you sleeve the block, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. port the head because you want to get more it's, flow. It's, it's all baseline, that's all standard. That, that's standard stuff, but I notice in the push world, no one's doing anything. If it doesn't come like that from factory, it doesn't. So, so this was before Shark Works. This was before. So I don't know when Alex started. It could be concurrently, but this I'm okay. talking. This is 2007. Okay. Okay. So, and I'm interacting with Benny because a lot of Honda Challenge guys are coming to me to tune and so on and so forth. And I said, okay, I think I have the perfect recipe: classic 911 M96 engine. I address all the shortcomings and let me make a lot of power like I typically do. And that's what started. Um, what, what year classic 911? I went with a was 76. It, is that G body? Uh, that's right before, that's a G-body style, like an SC. Yeah. Um, the gentleman who I bought it from already did a white body conversion on it, done properly, in metal, and I bought it in San Diego for 2,500 bucks. Wow. Yeah. Back when you could do that. Back when you could do that. I'm talking <laughs> this 2007, okay? And I brought the car over uh, to, you know, over here and um, found at an auction, a, no, no shocking here, a 1999 Cura with an expired engine. Okay. A 99 Carrera dual motor. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's motor. about right. <laughs> that's about yeah. right. So I get the Carrera. I go to Todd from LAPD. For those of you who are in the great LA area, bless his soul. Todd was from the Los Angeles Dismantler. And it was actually my first Porsche engine I ever purchased. Wow. And he met my wife and I, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time, and said, hey, 
you guys seem pretty cool. I, I think this is your first Porsche. You should really stick with it. I think you guys would do well. I said, thank you. Th thank you, sir. He didn't even know us. But he just had this inkling that we would be okay. And he gets all kind of people coming there every day. Well, pick up the engine, swap the engine. Car now runs, started for a pretty profit. Now I have this expired engine. I address everything. Rebuild the expired engine, put in the car, put a full engine management system on it, get a gearbox from Todd again. Um, pretty much give him my whole PC touch. My dyno at the time handled 1080. Okay. The car shut down my dyno first time on dyno. Wow! I had twin 64, 65 turbos. I was really excited. Took it to the back street right here in Ontario and almost lost my life. <laughs> because I'm like, okay, it I'm, a dry, guy. I'm a dry guy. I'm a dry guy. I'm a dry guy. No big deal, right? It was a Saturday. My team wasn't here. I was alone. So if something happened to me, I don't think people even find me too much later. I go to the back street. Literally, this road right on the side here. It's private property, so I wasn't on the main road. I was on the back street here on the property on the campus. Went to first gear, went to second gear, and then the second gear, second gear, I floored it. And it lit him up. And no, it mm. was really slow actually. It just lag? Yeah. I'm like, okay. Uh, and then okay. light switch. I, I know what's gonna happen. <laughs> the front end came up. It moved it I don't know if it's talks I don't know what happened. Front end came up and it went right for the pole. And I let off, bam! It just bam, 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 bounced. And I'm like, oh my God. Stan, my legs were shaking. I drove back to the back of the shop. I was not in this house, on the other area. So for those of you who don't know my complex, it's a, a bit of a safari park. So we're near the giraffes. My shop used to be near the elephant. It makes sense to Stan. It won't make sense to it you. Won't make sense to but anybody. if you come by here, you'll notice that we're talking no, about. I, I swear I thought I was coming into, so it's, it's a typical uh, business park. That yes. everybody's used to, but for some reason the builder had like a safari thing yes, to it. Absolutely. So I swear I thought it was like um, like the World Wildlife Federation <laughs> or something, <laughs> or like the LA Zoo corporate <laughs> headquarters. Because it, it looks really nice. Yeah, they're life size. But then you drive sculptures. by and there's yeah. a Hyundai. Yeah. Uh, and Hyundai then you. Here and I'm, like, oh, I'm like, there's a Turbo Smart that's right across from us. There's, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> yes, there's so you were by the elephant and now you're by the zebra. Not by the zebra. Okay. No, I'm not by the giraffes. No. Giraffes, okay. So. I brought it in, and guys and ladies, I'm telling you, when the car cooled down, I pulled the turbos off. Really? Immediately. I pulled those 64 millimeter turbos off. Okay. So, um, ordered another set from Turbonetics, then I went to a 62, 62 size turbos, which is a step, about a step down, and then I kind of tuned it back to 770 and left it there. Like, I'm not putting in more boost in this. And it was comfortable for me. Um, fast forward to today, I still have that car, my first Porsche 911. It's, it's one of my most popular Porsches. Is it the blue one? Blue one with the, that is the blue with the one. hanging out okay, yeah, in okay. the back. And now it's at 850 with 57 millimeter turbo. I went smaller for a faster spool. And I put other people in the media inside of it, and they still think it's the most terrifying thing that sh shouldn't be on the roads at all. Well, that's, because that, that platform, for people that don't know, <laughs> let's give it a little bit of context. So when Porsche made that car a turbo, yeah, it was yeah. known as a Widowmaker. It was known as a Widowmaker. It, it was the most terrifying car. And mostly it's the, the power it makes now, Right, mostly much. because of the turbo lag of yeah. the time period. Yeah. And it's got a really light front end, mm -hmm. and it's got lots of grip in the back, yes. and it's got a sort of short wheelbase. Yeah, and the engine's in the back, too. So that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's a real and engine, it's, real drive. It's, 
It's one of the reasons that I'm terrified driving cars like that, and I've driven a regular 930, Understood. nothing like yours. Understood. New cars give you a false sense of, not even a false sense, they give you a sense of security. security yeah. As long as you leave stability control on, Understood. the hand of God, yeah. you're okay. It's got you, right? Those cars, the no sca- nannies. Well, the, the scary part is there's yeah. no nannies, and yeah. if you get in trouble, your natural instinct is, well, I gave it too much power, let me yeah, give it less power, it. and it's worse. It's worse. But then you're in real trouble. You have to commit. <laughs> yeah, if you're in trouble. trouble. So for those of you who are not accustomed to a, a rear engine, rear layout 911, if you're ever on the track and you get in trouble, do not lift. Yep. You will power spin out. out. Power out. Yeah, just, just stay committed, <laughs> stay in it, and correct the car. You will, because yeah. naturally you want to, Turn away from the skid and let out. You will you kill yeah. yourself. The way you drive you most cars, you can't drive a 911 that way. Yeah. And the only reason I'm halfway decent at 911s exactly. is because my Integra was set up so loose in the back ah, that it was, you drove it exactly the same understood. way. You would come into the corner, That's trail break, advantage. the back yeah. end would come around. Understood. You'd put, put, put exactly. the ball down and the nose would pull you out. Exactly. That's basically a 911. That's it. My first, my first understanding visually of how a 911 is stupid uh, but cool yeah. was... At the, the beginnings of YouTube, the roof yellow bird oh, yeah. around the Nurburgring. Understood. He didn't make, there wasn't one corner he wasn't sideways. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so cool. now I get it. <laughs> and then I got Gran Turismo and I couldn't drive the car. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my excursion to that. And then, so I have this Porsche thing. And then I get a call from, from American Honda. And I build this. Uh, so I'm in love with Porsche now. And so I, I, I knew that Porsche had this. I don't know if you remember, there was this, uh, it was a white and orange and black themed hybrid 911 that Porsche put together. It was making like 470 horsepower. And they were really what, pushing What this. generation? It was 99, oh, it had to be 997.2. I don't know. Yeah, so there's a hybrid race car they had that they were um, campaigning. And it had a really nice you know, theme, like stripe thing, orange, white. And they were pushing this. It was very popular. It was in all the news media, people were excited. And I said, okay, Honda's giving me this hybrid to build. I'm all about Porsches nowadays. Was it what a could Did I you do? make a land speed car? No, I didn't. Okay, make a okay, land okay. Sorry, that, I'm thinking that's, of that's a CRZ. Okay, yeah. it is CRZ, but uh, that's that's our other friend. But um, okay. long story short, my goal was to beat Porsche's hybrid with my hybrid. So all I was going to do is focus on the petrol engine, leave the integrated motor assist, the hybrid the hybrid system alone, or the EV system alone, which is a generator and absorption unit and then focus and go crazy, go ham on the petrol side. So I fully built the engine, rods, the normal stuff, sleeve the block, pistons, valve train, camshafts, engine management solution, all that good stuff, and it worked. Mm. First time on dyno, I made 533. Without, without the hybrid or with yes. the hybrid? With the hybrid in Copa. Wow. Yeah. And when we went to SEMA. What was the displacement of that thing? 1.5. <laughs> so <laughs> it was doing like, and great thing, and it got better. I improved the gas mileage by two miles per gallon. So how did I do that? I removed all the restrictions on the intake and exhaust. Well, you just, you weren't in boost. And I wasn't in boost. Yeah, no, yeah. you beat me to it. See, this guy, that, see, <laughs> it's the that, only so, way. So for those of you listening, one of the wonderful things that happen in the podcasting and media world is that I typically get interviewed with people who know nothing about cars. It's very refreshing to know someone who knows what they're talking about. It's really, really refreshing. And no offense to the people who, I, I love you guys, but it's nice to know someone who's built cars, who gets down and dirty, who understands. He even finished my sentence there. <laughs> so I size a turbo so large that when you're cruising, you're in vacuum and there's not boost. But when you tip it past 30% throttle, boost comes on hard. It is a blast. 
We destroyed wow. so many gearboxes with that thing. I can only imagine. <laughs> and it was not designed to and, that. And, ju and just to, to be clear, the, <laughs> the, the, the what we think of as the heyday of racing, yeah. 1.5, 550 horse, 600 horse, that's a Formula One yeah, car absolutely. of absolutely. 20 years ago. Absolutely. Not in qualifying trim, Understood. but in actual race in trim, race that's trim, roughly yeah. what they absolutely. put down. Absolutely. So, and this was not a motor built for that. No, not This was an Econo box motor Econo that... It was probably horses. It was probably a generator for Honda's commercial division. <laughs> probably. <laughs> but we did that, and, and the media lost it. So we, we got a lot of notoriety with that. Everyone from um, New York Times to CNET to USA Today covered sure. it. And that began our excursion with OEMs. Everyone started knocking our doors. Of course. From FCA to Hyundai to Ford. And we kept building cars from there. And fast forward to now, it's a good revenue stream for us. So we tend to build a lot of cars for the major shows, for manufacturers and help them with their engine program with their, some of their race teams, which is pretty nice. So That's amazing. That's kind of what we do nowadays. That's fantastic. Yeah. What? So, okay, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can talk about there because <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of NDAs. <laughs> there is a lot. Right. Um, let me ask you, so let me kind of skip over that a little bit, but reference it. Okay. I talk a lot about the future of the automotive industry and yes. what that looks like, Understood. whether it's autonomous, whether it is what it is, kids out of high school coming out, not wanting to drive, whatever. What are you excited about about the future of, of the automotive industry from the, what you've seen? The electric motor. Okay. And, that, and that's number one. A very close second is the human car interfacing. That's the second thing I'm very excited about. That. I have participated uh, Augmented in, reality kind of stuff? No, not oh, okay. that far. Um, I, I participated in some demos with Toyota. And so imagine a world where your vehicle has fifth level autonomy where this means you can drive yourself, you don't have to interact with it at all. It just takes you from point to point. You're a passenger in the back seat. You're a passenger in the back seat, yeah. but in this case. The ideals of what we think of autonomous cars should yeah, be eventually. Should be, you know, so think about level five. But think of level five where you can also interact. Meaning, here you are. You're on your way here to beautiful center of the universe, Ontario. <laughs> so you're in your very attractive, very powerful EV powered or I should say you know electric motor powered vehicle and as you're in traffic you're on social networking interacting making sure your fans are happy getting ready for our interaction today and your car is driving itself you're working creating an opportunity for yourself creating uh, 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 doing whatever you, you deem necessary I don't care you're watching porn whatever you're doing you're in the car you're coming in sure. but you get to a windy road the vehicle alerts you get behind your wheel and now you are having fun on this winding road so yeah, there is an opportunity now. So these demos currently because that's exist, a conflict, and it's not. It's 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 the perfect world as far as I'm concerned. Go I on. love going fast. I don't need to hear a loud car to know I'm going fast and have fun. I I, I really appreciate the immediate torque of an electric motor in one RPM. So the scary thing is that we've done some stuff. I don't know if you remember the car. The car company Aptera is defunct now. They were based in Oceanside. It was like no, a... No, I don't know it. It was, it was a vehicle that looked like a plane. You guys can look it up. Aptera. Um, it looked like this weird plane thing. We did a lot of testing here. And this Aptera vehicle was full EV. And we had control over the inverter. This thing was so freaking fast. And that's what... Because the problem they had was making it okay. seem more natural. I've seen it. Making it seem more natural, because what do we experience in natural internal combustion engine cars? We experience a low torque environment, which builds up to peak torque and falls sure, it's off. Sure, it's a linear curve that we're familiar with. But imagine having immediately all the torque at any RPM at any speed. That's why you see, for those of you who are very 
comfortable YouTube. You see all these videos of Tesla's drag racing. Mm -hmm. You see a, a Model X SUV Tesla destroying an R8. You see, because of its weight proportion, electric motors mm -hmm. are very powerful. They're very reliable, less moving parts, no need for you know, service. It allows for freedom in design if you have a lower hood uh, 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 service area. You can have better designs in, in regards to pedestrian safety. There's so many, it is a renaissance of car design for the designer, it's fantastic. So I'm excited about that. But I'm also excited about the opportunity where things I'm bored about, going to the market to get food, taking my car to the dealership to get service, the car can take itself. Driving in traffic on the 405, those are things I don't enjoy. But Mulholland Drive, uh, uh, Angeles Crest Highway, my body, guess what? With my car, I can still enjoy it. It gives us the opportunity to do both. Now, what about, so the reason I said conflict, and I'm yes. curious to, to hear your no take worries. on it. So when I think of, Everything you said up until the Mulholland Drive Mulbaldi <laughs> part, I was with you. Okay. And then I'm thinking to myself, yes. the type of environment yes. where I can be on my phone, yes. lounging, relaxing, sipping right. a coffee while the yeah. car drives me somewhere, uh -huh. is it's insulated, it's quiet, it's cushy, it's roomy, yes. it's heavy, it's not stiff and sporty, but let's say Magneto... It can be. Let's okay, say Magneto right? Rheologic suspension okay. and airbags can okay. adjust that okay. on the fly, okay. This, it's not intended to have steering response, and it's 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 pounds. Which, guess what? Electric motors don't care. They're but, so but, much but, torque. But what about the steering response? What about the Same braking? Thing. And all that could be done haptically. It could be controlled to give you the input you want. I mean, we see now electric steering. People complain about 991 being that Yeah, we, we stop complaining but, after but, like a year. <laughs> but above and beyond that, Porsche did a good job in putting certain parameters in place where you started to get that feel back. Mm -hmm. All that can be controlled. Interesting. So in this demo that I did with Toyota last year in January, and I look forward to thinking something even more exciting as I go to CES next year, is an opportunity where it recognizes based upon my heart rate, my pupil dilation. Wow. It's crazy that I get excited. It literally did a simulator where, okay, it gave me different opportunities where different roads and places, and it let me know that, the software let me know that, okay, you don't like going, running errands, but you enjoy winding roads. So let's take a drive to San Francisco. So it was very realistic. As I was driving, I was able to look around, go online, surf the net, and it was driving me. But when it came to a winding road, it said, okay, BC, we're getting to a winding road now. Take control of the car. Steering wheel telescopes to me. I grabbed the steering wheel, and now I'm driving in the winding road, things I enjoy. And, you and enjoy then when I was done, how was it? It was fantastic. Wow. It was awesome. I'm like, I wonder if I should just drive off this. What would happen? Anyway, I, I would have done that. It was wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, and afterwards, and then, and then even more interestingly, um, some that, I mean, it meant a lot to me, and I'm sure it meant a lot to the person if it really happened, but it was transporting me somewhere to go to get some food, which I didn't care about, so it was doing it autonomously, and a, a cyclist jumped in front of the car, and the mm -hmm. car stopped. Sure. So if you think about it um, from the one argument I hear from fellow enthusiasts, and what I'm sharing with you now and your audience now is not a very popular mindset with my audience. My audience are guys who love when I have the twin turbo Porsche shooting flames, burning out. They love that. The sound, but the there's, fire. There's a, there's a place for both. That's yes. my, my, my perspective. And, and, but I, I love those too because I, oh, I created it. But I also love the power of an electric motor. Yes. I love the speed that On, comes with it. Can I tell you I something? I love the freedom of design. <laughs> can I tell you something? Yeah, go ahead. I feel like, and I've heard this from people who I know, that we both mutually know, that the exotic car, supercar, hypercar world is yeah. suffering in terms of sales. And there are multiple reasons, I'm sure, but the Tesla Roadster yeah. 
that speed for that yeah, price understood I can't imagine that. I'm telling you. I, I just I, yeah. there's there's not a lot of argument for a La Ferrari when the thing's faster and, and is the price of the tax of the La Ferrari. Right. You know what I mean? So don't get me wrong. You, you bring Ferrari up a brand, a brand I really admire so much because they spend so much with sound engineering. Those Ferraris sound so they fantastic. Do. They do. Oh, did you Especially, hear? Uh, you know, okay. I hear the arguments when enthusiasts, oh, the 488 doesn't sound as good as the 450. I get it. But it still sounds good. But they good. still sound great. It still sounds okay. good. Did so, you hear the Valkyrie mm. motor? No. Uh, they launched it yesterday on YouTube. No. Naturally aspirated, 6.5, nice. 11,000 RPM. Oh, it sounds like a Formula One car. Oh full my they, they have God. it uh, in the dyno cell. Understood. So obviously maybe the exhaust isn't exactly Understood. the same. But no hybrid assist, nothing. Wow. Because I've always, I've always been the guy that's I'm slightly old school in the... And that's okay. When you give me a 918, when you give me a LaFerrari, when you give me a P1, I wonder how much better it would be with Understood. only naturally aspirated, Understood. how much lighter, that Understood. kind of thing. Although I understand torque assist and higher... Yeah. Okay, I get that. But when I heard this thing, oh man, like my, my, the, the hairs on my neck stood up. I'm like, oh, thank but God. You, you'll be pleased to know that... Um, I'm not saying that it's, it's bad, but the, the, talking about the future... Ice will go away. I don't want to say ice internal combustion engines. Mm -hmm. They will go away. Manufacturers are investing heavily into exploring those technologies. The price Porsche of is already doing it. Yeah, has fallen. It, and it will, will continue. And um, diesels will end up going away. Porsche has already stopped manufacturing diesels. Mm -hmm. They're the first mm -hmm. manufacturer to really embrace that non-diesel mindset. So things are starting to happen very quickly. But don't be surprised because we are even a house. We have things going on here. Don't be surprised in a world where. We can have electric cars with natural sounds that can well, be enjoyable, not artificial. Because I see some manufacturers, yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask you. I don't like that. BMW, I don't like that. No, no, like no, no. But there, there are ways of doing it. I have a system I'm going to implement on one of our projects coming up soon. It's going to blow people's minds, and I foresee that being up, you know, really a nice uptake in the automotive community. Well, I think honestly, we're romantic about internal combustion engines, as we were romantic about the horse and buggy. True. <laughs> and the two things that I remind myself, right. because I can be overly romantic sometimes as well, is one, the sound of a fast EV has its own unique characteristic yeah. that I, we will learn to like. That's one thing for sure. But it might sound I, like I'm the Jetson. I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to stop you there. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, there are ways, and they're not implemented today, there are ways to give EVs that soul. It's I agree. Coming. And it's that's coming. what I'm referring to. But then right. the other aspect of it is yeah. uh, I've sort of adopted the mindset of I want that Toyota you're describing yeah. that will drive me to work yeah. and then in the garage Understood. I'm going to have a G-Body <laughs> or a Viper Understood. or an NSX or whatever scratches your itch. Like, I don't necessarily have to be sitting in traffic with the not sure that makes any sense. Right. Do you know what I mean? But then for the weekend, for a special occasion, whatever, I'll take a big block. I'll take a, a Porsche. I'll take something like that. And that that'll always happen. That makes I sense mean, to me. It, it does. Those, that unless the government happen. says those cars are to be crushed. And, and it'll come to a place, it'll come to a time when it'll be cost prohibitive to own quite a few of those. It will happen with yes. the inflation. But what I'm saying is that they, we will still have access to our heritage old school vehicles that will yes. still be there. Th that's we'll my still point. have nostalgia events. All that will still happen. It still will happen. Like right now, you can still have a horse and a buggy if you want. That's to. my point. <laughs> you know, yeah, you can you can be into equestrian sports if you wanted to. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's expensive, but, but to your but, point. But but the world will change very rapidly. And for those facilities, and this is for my peers, for those of you out there who own businesses that are automotive, we all cannot be vintage car builders. It's Even though it seems that way, things are going to yes, change. I agree. Um, I, for one, I'm going to embrace the new technology. I am embracing it. And for those of us who do not, as builders and tuners. 
we will fall by the wayside. I'm it really excited to see that, that Tesla-powered Merck Understood. that Jonathan Award Understood. did. Yeah. That excites Understood. me because that's what hot rodding looks Absolutely. like. People going, let's tear this thing apart and see what it does. And, and it makes certain sense. I go to car shows and EV West and there's another company yeah, yeah, I forget yeah, of. They have yeah. uh, 914 conversions right. and 912 Understood. conversions. Understood. And I, I'm kind of excited about it. I, kind of want, I want those guys to really kind of step away from DC. Because um, I know DC is very simplistic and more cost effective, but AC is really the way to go. And I think we're going to see more of that. Um, but some of the older conversions are very archaic. They are. They are. They are. They are. And they're but, heavier. But and, because but of the type of person that was good. willing to, yeah, to do that to conversion. Do it. Right. But it's also, I'm looking forward to, uh, maybe you can g give me some insight on yeah. this because I don't have a, a really good knowledge of it. Um, it seems like the single biggest limiting factor is capacity right now, and solid state is coming. That's changing rapidly, and it's but it's expensive. So what I hear is is range anxiety is what I hear a lot. Where people well, are it's not about it's not that. that. I'll tell you why. Um, right. It's so I pitched uh, an idea to a friend of mine yes. to build a couple of fun toys where the batteries will be interchangeable, so you can basically either tow them with you and then charge them there, because Willow Springs just put in a Tesla charger. Oh, nice. I, well, I saw it unpacked, so they're, cool. they're putting it That's in now. Cool. Um, so it would make sense to me to be in a super light Ariel Adam Caterham kind of right. thing that's got interchangeable batteries. Okay. I can drive on a battery, right. I can put that on a charger, drive around that's the track, right. thermal management, whatever. Right. Uh, that all makes sense to me. It just seems like when I called EV West and a few that's other right. companies, right. we're not there yet. Things are happening rapidly. Okay. Things are happening rapidly in a commercial space, meaning we are now having batteries that allow for quicker charging, have a decent discharge rate, um, we still don't have full capacity charging in a very short period of time, but we're getting to the point where you can have at least 70-80% charge at the same time it allows you to pump gas in your car today. Wow. It's happening very quickly. For those of you who have the ability, please go to the CES show, the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas every C year. Consumer There's Electronics There's so uh, much show. happening yeah. in the battery world, and there are companies investing rapidly in them. Dyson is investing millions. And, the, and you think Dyson, you think vacuum cleaners? Well, I think genius space. I'm thinking genius inventor yeah. when I think of so, Dyson. Yeah, so it's 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 here we are in an opportunity where things happen rapidly. I foresee in the next year, your concern will be at bay. Wow, in, in a year, one calendar year, in watch. one calendar year. Watch, and because manufacturers are adopting this, it becomes more cost effective for us. Of course, it does. Even Trickle for down. us builders, of means. course. I mean, I think it's right exciting now, exciting times. I can anticipate somebody like you or somebody else in this space that understands how it works. Somebody's going to quickly come out with aftermarket chargers, oh, with battery, battery adjustment, yes. with replacement batteries, Understood. with that kind of stuff. Oh, that's coming. It seems like yes. we're getting there. We are getting there. Um, that's, that's amazing. What do you... So tell me this, because I asked you about the future, and I, I, that was a perfect answer what I was looking for. In a hot rod sense, what would you do with that tech? Because at a certain point, you don't have enough tire to hold the torque anyway. And that's the thing. Um, <laughs> so... Um, Think about this. Having control of the inverters gives us amazing feats of engineering opportunities. Mm. Um, I can have uh, individual motors for each wheel. I can do a front wheel burnout, then a rear wheel burnout, then all wheel burnout. <laughs> I can vector the car by just turning one set of wheels more than the other. I can turn the car without even steering if I want to. I can do burnouts opposing wheels. I can do all kind of, any kind of stuff. So that's from a from my quest in, in life, which has always been to make engineering exciting and entertaining, that is the holy grail for me. But because for the same reason we have control over inverters, we have opportunity to improve 
efficiencies to make things more comfortable for drivers to have different modes to make things faster to make things safer it's going to be a little challenge to police EVs in racing because just like now you can do very clever things with engine management solutions to ICEs, it will be even easier to do ICEs. Oh, so, you mean, so you mean leveling um, the playing field yeah, and making it'll be sure more people can't cheat? It's going to be more difficult okay. to do with okay. that. Right. But there are ways, especially if you have systems that are sealed and canned and so on. So so I'm also not that. sure that... Yeah. I'm not but, sure that cheating is a bad thing because it tends to... Uh, to <laughs> well, it leads to progress. Well, I, I, I think, I think the, the need for speed is what leads us to progress. The need for reliable speed is what leads us to progress. But I think... I think it's a very positive move in the right direction yeah. because it's much faster. Mm. It's much more reliable. Gone are the days of blown head gaskets or thrown raw or broken rods. Arguably safer. Or, yeah, arguably safer. And You're not driving around with foresee, a tank of gas. I foresee, honestly, the one argument I see from some of the individuals who are not as aware of what's going on but have very strong opinions is that, oh, the car's going to take over and people are going to die. It's going to drive itself and drive into a wall. We have more people who die from drunk driving and from regular accidents than what will happen. Autonomy can bring safe opportunities well, I, I, I on think, the roads. I think their concern, so you will have less fatalities due to human error. Full stop. That's just a fact. But that's a huge number. Huge one. Huge number. I think the concern that I have heard, uh, which you mentioned, was it's now uh, hackable, potentially. There is a risk of that. Even internal combustion engines are hackable. Well, so, so that's not referring to an electric so, car. That's referring to an autonomous car. Yeah, e even like, cars, I think you know that there, there. Um, you may not know this, but even today's cars with drive-by wire is that technically actually, hackable. You yes. can hack them and yes. accelerate and stop them remotely. Yes, and actually some of them have electric steering. So there you go. Steer See, them as well. so you can do all of that. So true. We cannot, for the sake of what could happen negatively, not move forward. Agreed. It's going to happen. I'm going to be part of the ride. I'm going to make it exciting, and I cannot wait. I can't wait. I am really excited. <laughs> I'm going to watch your space <laughs> a lot. You. Thank you. I Hopefully, I can help you in some way oh, to get there. Let's make it happen. Um, where can people see what you're doing? How can um, they discover you? Yes. What different channels are you on that people can observe? So, Bicimoto, B-I-S-I-M-O-T-O, is my handle on a variety of spectrums, where you're looking at Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube, and now we're exploring Twitch. Twitch is a very strong platform for gaming, but is now becoming quite ubiquitous with different type of people who have different types of uh, interests. So huh. we're starting to do some Twitch stuff now recently, so you can join us and subscribe to us on Twitch and see what we have going on behind the scenes. That's just me literally leaving a camera for like four hours and you see what we do in the back of the shop, which is very interesting. But we have a lot of fun with that. So BCMoto, B-I-S-I-M-O-T-O, we are not difficult to find. And our website is bcmoto.com. Fantastic. Thank what you. do you have coming up that you can talk about a little bit? Oh, I can. A little um, teaser? So next year is going to be really exciting in terms of OEMs, so you'll see some very nice projects from us. Um, it's so amazing that a lot of our conversation today talked about old school and heritage. So I grew up in the era of touring cars. Okay. <laughs> so okay. this coming year, we're doing a, a throwback to the old school DTM 190Es. Wow. Yeah. I think I saw yeah, you so, asking yes. about that. Yes. There you go. Yes. The 2.3 so Cosworth. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm building one of those. Um, remember the first car that I loved when I came to America, but I couldn't afford it? The AW11, which is the first gen MR2. I picked one up. Aha. So I'm going bananas on that. <laughs> so expect to see some really crazy drives in Mexico when I'm done with that one. That's going to be really exciting. 
Um, I'm doing a, a bit of the center seat mid-engine Porsche for track duty, which would be very nice. Should really uh, round out my trio of my German flag. I have a red, a black, and soon to be a gold. So that'd be very <laughs> interesting. And our friends from Hot Wheels, which is a project that we began last year with them, their 50th anniversary vehicle, which represents Mattel and Hot Wheels and 50 years of automotive excellence. We're building a car that pays homage to the past 50 years and gives a glimpse, glimpse of the 50 years to come. So we'll have that next year done as well. That's what we have coming so far. Stay tuned to this space. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank BC, you. so much. It's a pleasure. I appreciate your time. Thank you I for learned your time. a lot today. This was... Thank you, BC, so much for being on the podcast. I learned a lot today. I learned a lot about you that I didn't know. I hope you guys learned a lot about BC and you think he's cool and you check him out. I'm really curious to follow up with him, do another podcast maybe in a month or so and see where his projects are going, including the Hot Wheels one. Let me know if you really enjoyed this. Leave me some feedback. You take it easy, guys.